Four dams are coming down. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. Some are calling the agreement historic, but others are deeply disappointed. On Friday, November 18th, as the COP27 climate conference in Egypt was set to end, it looked like there would be no consensus. But two days later, after intense negotiating, an agreement was reached. For the first time ever, delegates pledged to set up a fund to help vulnerable nations deal with the loss and damage from climate change. For decades, island countries and others like Bangladesh have demanded compensation from those most responsible for global warming. But there was no progress on goals to rapidly limit greenhouse gas emissions amidst much disagreement on the details. The final document only repeats last year's promise to phase down the use of unabated coal, coal from which CO2 emissions have not been mitigated or captured. The phase-out of all fossil fuels was resisted by China and Saudi Arabia, as well as African nations that see opportunity in developing oil and gas. Parts of the COP27 document are weaker than previous agreements. For example, a section on the energy sector that in the past said renewables should be increased now only talks about low-emission energy, which could allow the continuing use of natural gas. About 150 countries agreed to the Global Methane Pledge, an initiative to cut emissions of the powerful greenhouse gas. The measure targets leaks as well as flaming and venting from gas operations. It will be the largest dam removal and river restoration project in the world, and it could begin in just a few months. The federal government has approved demolishing four hydroelectric dams on the Klamath River along California's border with Oregon that will result in its free flow for the first time in more than a century. It's a major victory for Native American tribes in Northern California and also for environmental and fishing groups, not to mention salmon and steelhead whose numbers have dwindled. The river and its bounty have been tied to the tribe's economic, spiritual, and cultural lives for centuries. The decision by the federal government to decommission the dams was based upon its estimate that the structures would lose millions of dollars per year if they were kept in operation. The dams don't supply irrigation water, but do provide electricity to 70,000 people. Opening up the river and its tributaries will provide more than 300 miles of habitat for salmon and allow the Klamath, California's second largest river, to flow naturally, restoring floodplains and wetlands that will mitigate the effects of drought. The demolition of the four dams comes after much opposition from Republican lawmakers, among others. Some say removing the dams won't save the salmon, and others worry rural counties will have to pay increased rates for power. If you live in Atlanta, Georgia, Orange County, California, or Aurora, Colorado, some of your drinking water is potable reuse, meaning it's purified wastewater. But before you wince, according to a new study from Stanford, it could be cleaner than conventionally treated water. The researchers say that's because regulators demand more from potable reuse treatment plants to remove harmful pathogens. So operators employ reverse osmosis, biofiltration, and other methods to flush out contaminants. And the scientists say that makes potable reuse less toxic than some water supplies sourced from rivers, which can contain wastewater from an upstream 
upstream treatment plant that doesn't clean to the level of recycled water and might contain chemicals from shampoos to medicines. Also, the EPA regulates a slew of chemicals in drinking water, but some dangerous compounds might not yet be known and therefore not removed. As climate change reduces snowpack, potable reuse is being seen as more reliable and a supply that utilities already possess. That means more water can stay in ecosystems and less wastewater, along with its contaminants, will be discharged into rivers. And finally, e-waste is a growing problem with some 50 million metric tons of discarded electronic devices getting chucked into landfills every year, where they leach toxic chemicals into soils and water instead of being recycled into new products. But what if electronics were developed with their complete life cycle in mind so that when they outlive their usefulness, they biodegrade? That's the idea behind Myceliotronics, a material made from mushrooms that can be used to make computer chips. Researchers in Austria were studying a mushroom that grows on dead hardwood trees for its potential use in insulation. They discovered that its root-like structure called mycelium had a protective skin to ward off pathogens and bacteria. They found that when they peeled and dried the skin, it could withstand high temperatures and was extremely flexible, not breaking even after being bent 2,000 times. That made the mycelium skin an ideal material for the base of the computer chips, rather than the unrecycled plastic that's currently used. Better still, the mycelium skin stays durable so long as it's kept dry and away from light, but if composted, it degrades in just a few weeks. While the research is still in its early stages, it looks like the idea of using mycelium to make greener electronics could mushroom. That's it for this week in water. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.